Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. Because we had such a fun time in the last podcast doing a whiskey shot, we're going to do another one. Cheers, sir. Uh, this is how alcoholism starts. It is, isn't it? Just with a couple of, like a mate just to escape the wife, just being like, you got any of that gin? Yeah, it's good. Dude, how it's depressing. bad do married men make marriage sound? Have you ever heard a man being like, oh, I just, I love marriage. I can't wait to go home to my kids and my beautiful wife. No. They are all depressed. They are all exasperated and they're all just, oh, fuck. Do it at your own peril. It sucks. <laughs> the wife. No. Yeah, the wife. Not her name, the wife. Look, it's the same thing that people say about kids. You are not signing up for happiness. You're signing up for fulfillment. That's what you're signing up for. Just a little, you know, like, okay, this is what everyone says about kids. When they leave the home, that's when they become the greatest accomplishment of your life. (laughs) When they're no longer a burden. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Which for our generation is terrible because they'll leave at like 35. Yeah. My parents are very happy right now. It's because my sister just moved out. (laughs) When? They're free. uh, Last year. This year. She got a job in uh, Aladala. Good on her. That's a fun town too. They have a Thai restaurant there that sells green curry with like cauliflower in it. So you have fun there. That's so specific. I know. It was just it just freaked me out when I saw it. I was just like, what is this? Is this McCain's winter vegetable mix in a curry? Yeah, but the thing is with uh with the Thai restaurants in the um rural well, I don't know if you'd call that rural, but in the small towns, I don't think the population will be able to tell the difference between a McCain's green curry and an authentic green curry. <laughs> no. No, they're not telling the difference. That's why they're able to sell it. But that's what scares me about it, dude. Oh, like it's so it freaks me out. That's a business opportunity. You go to a um a town that has never had any uh ethnic cuisine and you literally just buy Coles pre packaged Indian curry sauce. I'm telling you, that's not a business you, opportunity. You sell that's it a at business. 40 bucks. Th- but that's what they do. That is what that's they do. <laughs> that is their job. <laughs> It's like I've never been yeah. to a Chinese restaurant with a population under 10,000 where the food isn't fucked. <laughs> it's, it's just Canton. <laughs> you know? In fact, Canton might be an and, upgrade. And it's the high class place to go and eat at those places, in, right. in, those, in those towns. You've you done know, this on your tours? You go into one of those restaurants? Yeah, you go to the Chinese restaurants. You know yeah. what it is with Chinese restaurants? If it actually looks nice, if the interior is well designed and. The, the the shop itself has a good um, appearance. It's never a good restaurant. No. You go to the shitty ones. Yeah. Go to the ones that, the, 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 you know, the dim, um, just unkempt, dirty, dusty restaurants have the best food. Oh, That's the rule. I know. It, it is a rule. And I haven't found the exception to the rule yet. It, look, and here's I'll, I'll get more specific than that. If you ever see a Chinese restaurant that has those hexagonal windows, don't go. I've never go to Macca's. Never seen. I've never seen that. But it's Port uh, Macquarie. That's you know uh, who you are. Don't go to a Chinese restaurant in Port Macquarie. Full stop. Don't go to Port Macquarie. Just go to Tarees. Try something else. You know, like it's, it's a retirement village. It's not a town. I've been to Tarees. Uh, 
did a gig there. It was fun, actually. See, this is, you're always down on the rural gigs, but I like it because you get a little taste of all these other places that you'd otherwise never visit. That's cool. But it's also just... It's all the same. It's all the same. That's true. But it's also just, dude, I like the feeling of gratitude. And you know what, actually? I've toured in a lot. This is how I know that you've been doing your hours other than others mm. because people will say this. <laughs> they say, I can't believe I've never told you this before. They say, thank you. That, that, like you said, they don't laugh the whole time. They come out at the end. <laughs> they they're just say, like, thank that you. was amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. I had such a great night. So they're, they're, true. So yeah. polite and nice. Could have laughed. They're, yeah, that would have been nice, but mm. you seem to be very grateful. And then I say, mm. all right, who has been here before? Almost without exception. Carl Sometimes Barron. it's Carl Barron, but yeah. the other one, dude, you. They say, Neil was here like three years ago. And before that, the last person to be here was, and this is really going back, Blue Juice. So not even a comedian, just <laughs> a, a band that was on Triple J. I think it would be before your time. It was like, you know, I feel sorry for Blue Juice. Wait, I haven't done a lot of regional places though. So they. I swear I've heard it like three, four times. I still can't, I still. the. And this isn't even a rural like Townsville. Like this, that's such a Sydney thing to say. Yeah, Townsville's fucking rural. It has about three hundred thousand people there. But I remember I put a um, a Facebook ad up or something, and the top comment was like, "Oh fuck, you know a comedian's career is going to shit when they come into Townsville." Oh fuck off! No, and the guy actually came. <laughs> he came to the show. <laughs> <laughs> He's wrong. That's when you know you're getting into your Carl Barron years, when you're able to tour towns. You can attract a, an audience in Townsville. How many cities can you even tour in Australia, right? Obviously, you've got the capital cities. But then after that, it's basically Newcastle, Townsville. I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it has quite a substantial population. There's probably more people in Townsville than Canberra. I'm Actually, I'm not sure on about that, but... Regardless, it's close. The yeah. point is that, like, dude, Townsville per capita is our Chicago. You know, like it's one of those cities that it's big. You've heard of it before. Yeah, it's just our demographics are skewed because we have a population of like, you know, half of South Korea. And the army boys laugh. They love a good laugh. Do they? Yeah. Well, the last time I did Townsville would have been twenty nineteen. It was a great show. Well, that Great brings show. me with a lot of joy because I am going there for the first time and, and I'm scared because I went to Cairns once and I was like, fuck. I love you. You know how big Queensland is? The the time from, I think, Brisbane to Townsville is the same amount of time um, from Townsville to Cairns. I think. You know what else as well? What do you think about this? Something like that. I think we've probably talked about this before, but. What do you think about Queensland? I like it. So do I. It's great. It's real Australia. It's re- it's fucking real Australia. There's two places that are real Australia: Queensland and the Shire. Yeah, they're yeah. very sim. They they are the same. They're the same. It's so weird. Like every time I go into the Shire, I'm just like, is this an embassy of Queensland? Why is this in Sydney? Yeah. Where, yeah. where else do you see little ten year olds with monster cans and blonde mullets? You don't see it anywhere. <laughs> With a twenty-five-year-old mum, I know um, a hot mum. And and you, last time I was in the Shire, kids were still out. There was a lot of kids. And this was about four p.m. I was driving through. There were a lot of kids outside on bikes, playing outdoors. They weren't on their screens. No, it's a great like it's a throwback. 
I'm telling you, dude, you grew up in the right part of Sydney. I didn't actually grow up in the Shire. No, but you grew up so close to Tom Ugly's Bridge. No, nah, but know? they hate each other. Grew, There's a rivalry. I know. You grew up in Wogshire, but it's still <laughs> sort of Wogshire, <laughs> you know? You did, didn't you? Like that's that's, that's the St. George it area. It's just like it's. I don't know. Dude, I saw a house the other day. How Wong fucking Shire. hilarious! Is. Well, dude, come on. There was a house for sale in I can't remember which suburb. It was like a hostel or some shit, and it was it was quote Versace inspired. If that isn't Wogshire, what the fuck is it? You know, like it was it was a mansion. It was kind of Sylvania looking. But it was just like Kim Kardashian's handbag in a house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was... If you ever come to Sydney... See, whenever people visit Sydney, they just go to the the classic tourist spots. You know, your opera house, the zoo. And then they go to Manly for some reason. It's just the same stuff. Why? Okay. Yeah, I know. That's just like one tiny little area of Sydney. You've got to go to the Shire. You've got to go to the St. George area. You do a whole tour of the East Coast... Then go really far out west. Go to Campbelltown and go to Penrith and maybe go to Strathfield. So that's in the middle. That's very close to where I am. That is probably a better um, picture of Sydney than just, yeah, cool, the harbour, circular quay. Our city's not even that good. The Melbourne city, the CBD of Melbourne is a lot better. Hey, hey, give us this. That harbour Okay, the harbour's pretty. Incredible. It's pretty. But after a while, you're like, okay, cool. You're just going to dismiss that, are you? You're going to yeah. <laughs> dismiss well, Sydney I've been there Harbour. 27 years. No, like, I mean, it's great. It's Okay, look, it's, it's very, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty. But the CBD itself, it's just, it's, as someone in their 20s, Melbourne is just it's chock full of great restaurants, bars. It's all on this grid. Very organized. I like that. Dude, you, you're going to hate this from me because I never shut up about it, but that is directly a result of the liberals. You know what the diff- You know what I've really noticed well, about saying- Well, then they got my vote. No. The, no if, that's, they make, if they make a grid out of the city. No, that's the Labor thing. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, okay. dude, this really is the diff- This is like, it's such a great microcosm going from Melbourne to Sydney because you just realize the difference, right? Like, Sydney is a lot more efficient than Melbourne- but it's way less livable. That's what I yes. always think every time I go to Melbourne. I'm just Hang like, on. why the fuck isn't anyone doing anything here? <laughs> you know? But at the same it's, time, it's just, it's just kind of like, it's a grid. It's a big grid. It's like the American cities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Like, honestly, I, I, I know you like Melbourne. I can't believe I'm saying this. Okay. But like, I, I just can't live in Denistan, you know? Like, I... I'd really like to live in Palaszczuk's land. Out. <laughs> but it's just that, that, dude. It's just, I like Queensland because Queensland's sort of, you know, Queensland is really beyond politics because, like, okay, you know, we- there was, like, the blue wave in the last election. Would you? Can I quickly butt in there? Would you say this? Uh, Queensland um, state governance and Victorian state governance epitomise the two, I guess, cultural factions of the Labour Party. You've got the, the more old-style working-class labour of Queensland and then you've got the newer cosmopolitan labour of Victoria. Hmm. Is that a, you know, it's admittedly a very shallow sentiment, but is there any truth to that? 
Is that why you hate Dan as Dan? <laughs> Look, I, I don't want to admit this, but like, if you're going to simplify it, that is a good simplification, you know? And that, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm too hammered to have this conversation, but like, I'm just going to get really. <laughs> pretty, I'm a lightweight. <laughs> I'm. Yeah, well, let me catch. All right. You know what it is? You know why? It's because you're a single man. That's why. No, I'm, um, I've been in a relationship for about a month now. What the? Why do you can't compartmentalize parts of your life like that? You share that with thousands of people listening from now well, on. I share it on the, the Sex Sales podcast. I don't. Ah, uh, okay, that's I where it goes. I struggle. I cannot open up. Like everyone well, who you listens don't want to, to the talk sex about sex with me would uh, <laughs> know that I've been very coy about. Well, my last relationship, I'm always sort of mentioning it and talking about how sad I was, but then never actually going into details about it. Well, okay, give me this. It's what do you think you've learned from the Sex Sales podcast? Uh, fuck, where do I start? Give me like a subtopic. Relationships. And I'm not talking about like, okay. you know, academic. I'm talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. things that you've actually sort of been like, okay, that, that. Cool. This is such a simple idea, but it, it, it's, it's really influenced so much of how I think about the, you know, different male, female dynamic, which is don't constantly think about what men should do to, for, for women to find them attractive Think about how what you're doing is going to make the woman feel. That is the biggest takeaway I've learned. Think about how a woman is going to feel. Hmm. Sounds simple, but... No, but... Effective. And there's a lot of wisdom in that simplicity. Yeah. I remember that was probably the first part. Anyway, cheers. Look at that fucking 20% full. Just say, like, just like, I think you've had enough. And then just like, yeah, pull that out. <laughs> think about what they feel, how they feel, as opposed mm. to what the woman should. Look, it's just. How's something going to make what, a woman feel? Because I just did a recent TikTok, actually, and it was. Um, I, I, I did what I was talking about a few podcasts ago, which is sort of articulate a sentiment that isn't work at all, but. Express it with woke rhetoric. Wokeness. So I talked about how... Have you heard of the male gaze? Yeah. So the male gaze is essentially men projecting their ideas of, of what they think is attractive onto women themselves and saying, this is what women find attractive. Mm, when mm. if you actually ask women, they'll often say, no, that's not what we find attractive at all. So mm, mm. I said, it's true that men um, project this male gaze, but women are also projecting what could be described as a sort of Western feminist, white, liberal gaze onto men so that sounds very woke right but what i'm essentially what i was trying to say is that uh it's not just about how a man looks or what a man does but like what those characteristics or what those actions uh how they would make her feel and if you've grown up as a as a modern woman in sort of middle class cosmopolitan western society you've constantly been told masculinity is toxic uh these sorts of traditionally masculine traits are associated with you know domination bullying even sometimes as far as sexual assault basically so you're immediately going to find a sort of visceral subconscious you know non-attraction to those sorts of traits when if you compare that to maybe your sort of actual physiology you may be attracted to it but the sort of feeling trumps that right Mm. so my point was 
culture has influenced uh, women to find more feminine or, or at least more neutral traits attractive. Uh, and you compare that to, say, other cultures, other societies that would still find masculine traits very attractive. Mm. But the but I guess a, a way you could express it that would turn a lot of people off would be like, oh, it's just the fucking woke people. They, they like that because it's fucking woke and it suits their agenda or whatever and they've been told to think it's attractive. That's why they think it's attractive. Whereas if I say something like, well, this is the Western white feminist gaze that they're putting onto men, that immediately doesn't dismiss you know what I'm saying. Oh, I'm actually doing pretty well as a as a as a video that you know is not me being comedic. It's got about fifty thousand views. I was happy with that one. You know what? It and does. I'm not, and I'm I'm also saying you know male attraction is also very culturally influenced. It's not even just the trends twenty thirty years ago. Men didn't find a big ass attractive. No, I think physiologically they did because it's a sign of fertility, but. Uh, the media was not portraying the starlets as having big curvy uh, glutes, and as a result, not that even, would have influenced. Not even curvy anymore. It's like fit, like looking like a horse. That's no, what's attractive. Okay, yeah, but like Kim Kardashian is legitimately out of proportion. I don't see how that. I do not find her attractive. No, neither do I. I still find her face attractive, but once someone described her ass as being a nappy ass, that was the end of me. Nappy. It does look like there is a nappy inside her skin. <laughs> what? You know anything? No, no, no. What? <laughs> what? A nappy inside, like a soiled nappy, or a? Well, you know what? The more you look at it, the more it does look soiled. But it could also just be a fresh one. The point is, it looks like a nappy. It just looks like there's like an extra layer there that shouldn't be there. I can. That's I, her I agree with that, but I and don't that's think that layer looks like a nappy. What do you think it looks like? It's just a big silicon. Yeah, it looks like a very unnatural ass. Ass. Yeah. Which is such a shame because she really has inspired the western suburbs of Sydney for a generation, hasn't she? And I'm not complaining. Her legacy was great. It really has been a generation because a generation for the Western suburbs is about 15 years. Yeah. And they really, they've encapsulated it, haven't they? Every time I ever go to the West, I remember going to the West as a kid and like every woman there just being like, this place is fucked. Where's the teeth? You know? And then you come back like 15 years later and then everybody looks like Kim Kardashian all of a sudden. That is a huge improvement. She really did uh, dramatically influence the fashion of, of, of just the, the average day-to-day woman, really. Like, Weren't we talking about this in your pod ages ago? That it was kind of like, that is what a Western suburbs woman aspires to, which is like, I live in a sick house. I don't have to do shit with my life. I'm just rich for some reason. I'm married to a rich guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I guess those women from that sector of society, I'm assuming maybe didn't have a, a role model because every other um, starlet or female celebrity would have been from a very different sector of society. There wouldn't have been a lot of well, social mobility in in the sphere of celebrity, right? Most celebrities would have been from privileged backgrounds. And Kim Kardashian is actually from a privileged background, but she sort of, in the same way Donald Trump is also from a privileged background, 
they both speak to uh, people from not so privileged backgrounds. And they don't no, actually yeah, they speak do. to people from privileged backgrounds. You know, I don't think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, our uh, 10 female listeners here, but I don't think, you know, a highly educated, um, you know, smaller liberal, uh, more f- feminist inclined woman from the eastern suburbs is lauding Kim Kardashian as a as a sort of cultural icon. No, Christ no. Yeah. She'd be a joke to them, right? I'm guessing. She'd be a punchline. Tell us in the comments if there's any of you left. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Just finish this off. There's only two ways to look at that. There's only the way of... <sighs> Fuck. What is the role model... That like women from the eastern suburbs look up to. I'm telling you, it's somebody who's hipstery. It's one of those starlets that's kind of like got a quite bohemian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Somebody who likes question, like French theatre. Yeah, but someone who also has a you know a hot shot job, but also looks cute. <laughs> um. Yeah, shit. Who is their role model? You just know when it comes to the Western suburbs. Kim Kardashian. She's got it on lock. I don't know. Tell us. That's a good question, actually. I, um. You know. No one's coming to mind. No one's coming to mind. You know what it might be? It might be because people in the Eastern suburbs are so narcissistic that they don't even have people that they aspire to. They just aspire to be. This is this sums up their best shows. That's the fucking line that well, sums them look, up. Look, I'm sure they still would have some, whether they consciously are aware of it, they'd still have some role models. They must. People they look up to. Who do you reckon your role models are? <sighs> Sam um, Harris, for sure. Yes. In the podcast sphere, Sam Harris, Coleman Hughes, and Andrew Sullivan right now. And they all do podcasts with each other. Um, the enlightened centrists. Mm. <laughs> um, in comedy, Chris Rock, Russell Peters, those two in particular. There's no Australian comedian. There's a lot of Australian comedians that I like, but I wouldn't say there are any that I sort of modelled my career off or really look up to. In the internet sphere, you know what? Superwog. Uh, when I was... Um, in high school, I the Superwog first went viral. I just I was I loved them. As in, you aspired to be them, or you found their humor amazing, and you were just like, Both. "Oh my god!" Both. Both. Yeah. I'll tell you what. When Superwog first hit the comedy scene, I remember I was in year ten. Jesus, you were lucky, Neil. I'll tell you that. Why? Because I was the right. I was the right age, wasn't I? You were the right age, yeah. and yeah. you're still the right age. I am the cutoff of uh, people who actually looked at internet creators from when they were in their adolescence and and said these are the epitome of role models. This is, this is the epitome of entertainment, not the people on TV. So weird. Just a couple years forward, and. It was just like, okay, you either make it to Triple J or you don't have a career. 
And I was just really lucky that I had to repeat one subject in uni because I wasn't paying any attention at all. And so I met someone that was like your age, maybe younger. Was it, was it Tom? No, actually, he was of that same thought pattern of, but he he wasn't in the he didn't want to become an entertainer. He wanted to become to do what he did, which is just be like, you know, I want to start an ad agency. He had that idea. So you, mm. there could be people your age that want to start an ad agency. It's not really conducive to social media. They just have like a, yeah, we have a social media brand opportunity for you if you want that. There's right. that package. They're in the same industry, but they're not really, they're not an artist. No, they're not an artist. Mm. If you're an artist and you're my generation, you really looked up. There's this, the saddest people on earth, I think, are exactly what I was saying. You know how you were just like, Blue Juice? Who are they? Like- just people that were a little bit older than me because I should have met, lost that cutoff. It was just that I was a fuck up in uni. I shouldn't be on the internet. I should have just had like mm. my little five minutes on fucking Imagine that. fierce comedy or whatever the fuck it is and then that's the end of me. You know, yeah, If you were two or three years older, that, that would have been you. If I was a year older... Or if just certain circumstances would have been different, you uh, definitely wouldn't have had an online following and you would have been working your way up the um, ABC hierarchy. I probably would have too. You know what? If I was five years older, I would have sneered at people on the internet and thought that was not real comedy or real art even. And if I was five years younger, I'd... Fuck. I don't know what I could have identified as... I I was a misfit in high school. I was definitely... uh, I felt like a bit of a loner to some degree. I wasn't a total recluse, but I think those are the sort of people that are more likely to um, latch on to some of the, 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 the really extreme, I guess if you want to call it SJW ideals. Yeah, but now if you don't have like 20, th- well, you know what, actually, it's really interesting because when I talk to Christo about this, who's like 21 now, mm. he says that their generation has just become like SJWs have become you have actually meet that cross off. So with me, for instance, SJW kind of just reminds me of wankers that work at the ABC that just don't understand the real world at all. You know, Mm, like if they like a sport, it's the Sydney Swans. And is that even a sport? But like, if the <laughs> most controversial thing I think you've ever said on this podcast of but all the you, controversial things, I agree. You back it up. Yeah. It doesn't make AFL doesn't make sense. No, it's no, it's just a, fumbling around. An American comedian said it best. He came in and he and he and he, and he was like, oh, I watched a game of Aussie Rules football, and after the entire game, I still didn't know what the fuck was going on. And, and he's right. <laughs> he's, no one he's watching not wrong. knows <laughs> what is going on. No, it's just pathetic. It's I just grown it. men fumbling around. You get your six points if you hit it through the middle two sticks, and then you get one if you hit it through the other sticks, and then if you catch the ball on the full, the other people can't tackle you. But then, other than that, what? And you got to take if you take ten <laughs> steps, you got to the ball's got to hit the ground. So either you bounce it or you can technically touch it, and you can't pass the ball. You got to do the fucking. I know. Yeah, but like, let's be honest. That that game should not have coaches. They don't do anything. <laughs> There's no strategy to that. <laughs> it's just fuck, it's just a mess. Just fuck around, right? It's just a fuck around. I will say this: it's 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 better in the other states um, that they've just got the one football code. What I don't like in New South Wales and Queensland is that there's union and league, 
and and it's actually a there's a class division even to this day. In what other Western country is there a class division that determines the football you watch? If you went to a private school, you you like rugby union. If you went to a public school, you like rugby league. In this day and age, in Australia, in a country like Australia as well, which is you know meant to be the the working man's paradise, there's still that dichotomy. Where's rugby union imported from? South Africa, England. What they're into it? It um. No, they're into soccer. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, their working class sport is soccer. Is that the deal? And rugby union is played for by the aristocrats. Uh... I don't know for sure, but I, I know that, yeah, football's, well, fo- soccer is their main sport. Everyone in England absolutely dies for the EPL and, um, so, yeah, soccer, which they'll hate when people refer to it as soccer. But it's the same thing there. Um, if you're upper class, you um, follow rugby union. And if you're, if you're from the northern, if you're from northern England, um that's where all the rugby league is. If you're mm. from London, I think that's mm. where you play rugby union. Yeah. But let's be honest, the rugby league barely exists there, doesn't it? Because oh, I know that like, if you've had it's... enough prison charges against you in Australia, you go there. <laughs> yeah. you can, you can Isn't it? The sexual assault claim. It's a northern and... Um, it's a it's a very northern English thing. Like all the Super League teams are from either the Midlands or Northern England. I, I think there's only one London Wait, team. Does I New think, Zealand I play know. it? Is the New Zealand Warriors like the well, Melbourne Storm? Even in New Zealand, I think there's a class um, division there where I th- I'd imagine it's like way more than it is here. Okay. Actually, in, in New Zealand, they they're obsessed with rugby. Not many of them play rugby league. Yeah, they I all, thought as much. They're yeah. like it's their religion, right? It's the same as AFL in. Victoria and, and, well, the other states other than New South Wales and Queensland. But, um, no, New Zealand's a lot more upper class than Australia is. Well, yeah, because it wasn't settled by convicts. Wasn't settled by convicts. It was kind of just. Uh, it was only 150 years ago. That was just the, the, like, main people creating this country were prisoners. No, but you know, like, <laughs> do, you know what's actually really interesting about Australia? And it's the reason that the Australian Labor Party is so cemented in our history and it's actually the reason that we have like much better working conditions than the rest of the world is because after it wasn't it's like kind of a misconception convicts came here but they didn't know what the fuck they were doing you know like they came here and they just almost starved to death okay so there were still aristocrats that were coming no here or was it no aristocrats wouldn't touch it like middle class people would come here they'd be allotted large pieces of land where they would become aristocrats here yeah the people that made australia move the way it did was tradies it was tradies from england they'd come here where they realized there's no class divisions here and they could kind of create the society that they wanted so it was really the power base at the inception of Australia was the tradies. Well, they wouldn't and have been- still is today. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think? They're the ones that decide elections. Damn, you It's fucking wrong, sparkies. Because hey, they're the swing voters, hey. Because um, you know, if you're in banking, you're always going to vote liberal. Mm. And if you're, uh, I guess- Or at this day and age, you know what else factory. is well? Greens. A lot of fucking bankers vote greens. Really? 
Dude, bankers. You know what's really a misconception about the Greens is that they are actually the richest voting base by a mile. Oh, I'd, I'd, but I would have thought that it would have been sort of like, uh, you know, authors or English teachers or... True, that's you know, true as that well. sort of artistic sector of society. No, I just know this because my girlfriend just lived in that world for a while and you will see... When it comes to the upper echelons of society, yes, most of them vote liberal, but the like the counterculture version of that is the Greens. Really? No one's voting Labor. You, you got to okay, go to like you know nurses. You got to go. I to, guess that makes sense. You yeah. know, that level of society. That's when they start voting Labor. Mm. But up do, there, do you see Australia becoming what the you know following the trends of the UK, where the UK has just lost, like the Labor is just. Well, I mean, they're, they're just con- continuously losing seats. Because, from, okay, I don't know if this is the propaganda, but um, from what I've heard, uh, Brexit was a big thing for a lot of the working class people in sort of the Midlands and Northern England, and Labour was generally more aligned with the, you know, Remain um, ethos, and then um, Boris Johnson pledged a lot more investment into sort of the Midlands and the north of England, and as a result, uh, the, which these places were traditionally Labour heartlands, they've gone for the the Tories. Do you see anything like that happening in Australia? Well, you know what is very strange about now. Labour has become an educated slash middle-class party. The Liberals have become a party that serves well, their voting base. They purely, they, they don't even, they might serve the elites, but they also serve mostly corporations. But the, their voting base is really, you know, the North Shore and it's rural Australia, which is the poorest contingency of the country by a mile. Do you think... Is that because they they um will they deliver a cultural message that connects with those extremely downtrodden voters in saying that they're still culturally conservative in the sense of you know they even if their policies don't necessarily live up to this standard but they 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 uh, talk about how they still Australia first and they're not going to give in to China and. Well, this is the whole thing. This is when I just talk about like how the press shapes the narrative in that like you could... Okay, for instance, New South Wales right now, Chris Minns wins, the opposition leader. That guy is... I really shouldn't talk about this, but whatever. Chris Minns represents a part of the Labor Party that's very... They grew up in that system of just like staffers that came from, like, student mm. uni politics, you know. Is they- he the member for the Hurstville area? Yeah. Because it's weird that um, – because I remember uh, whenever the last state election – it was 2019, right, the last mm. state election, and, and, mm. and um, Michael Daly said those comments about Asian students, which I don't know how – you know, it was definitely uh, construed in the press – possibly differently to how we actually said it. And and Hurstville, for those of you listening, um, not from Sydney, Hurstville is a very, I grew up Asian. in Hurstville. It's very, well, it's Hong Kong. It's Hong Kong. It's not 
I wouldn't say, well, yeah, it's not Chinese. That's different. Uh, not beholden to the CCP. Um, no, it's the opposite. Yes. But, dude, you know why that worked in Hurstville? Because it's Hong Kong. You know, actually, conversely to what the press narrative Interesting. is. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. Hey. Mm-hmm. All the seats that had a lot of Asians in it but were working class, meaning they were from China and they just ran a bunch of, like, Chinese restaurants. The seats yeah. around it, their vote, Labor's vote, went up under Michael Daly. They didn't give a fuck about his comments. The ones mm. that did give a shit were upper-class Asians. They were the ones that were just like, oh, my God, but he was paying out yeah, yeah, upper-class yeah. Asians. No, he wasn't paying out working-class sh- Asians. That, look, we're not, again, I don't know the spin that was put on it and, and, and things like that, but... If I remember correctly, he said something like, uh, you know, Asian students are being uh, favoured to get jobs over, like, your children. No, it wasn't even... It was about property. Oh, okay. Which, like, you know, it's just a demographic fact. You go to my suburb at the moment, right? Hmm. Zetland, where, like, uh, that kind of area. I've got an office there now. And it is filled with two types of people. It's filled with nerdy whites. Subtle brag. And it's filled with <laughs> and it's filled with uh upper class Asian students. When you walk around yeah. the streets, that's who you see there. That's the demographic. Where is that? That's close to the C B D. You go to the C B D, what is it filled with? It's filled with rich Asians. Yeah. This is just as like apparent as just saying that, like, you know. Uh, but St. George area is Wog Shire or like yeah, yeah, yeah. the Shire okay. is Queensland. Like it's just another way of saying that's what that seat is. That's the, that's w- the demographics. The way it was presented in the media. Now, I don't, again, I don't know if this is like, you know, the propaganda model or whatever, but the way it was presented in the media, his his comments, it, it sounded like he was sort of appeasing uh, blue-collar Australians saying, you know, oh, these Asians are coming in and taking your your jobs it wasn't a woke comment it wasn't like oh this particular race or this particular ethnicity deserves certain things even if they may not um be achieving them on merit uh because of historical instances it was it's it, it sounded like you know your kids deserve these jobs or these positions but the asians are coming in and, ta- and, and taking them and and that could be because the Asians are just working harder and not, you know, drinking 10 beers every day, even though we're just here having a few. But True. You go to the inner sanctums of Sydney, though. Okay. Dude, those Asians, they're driving around in Bugattis oh, they're the and they're yeah, 22. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you're here because of daddy, you know? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like maybe a couple of you invented an app, mm. you know? But like the thing is... All I'm saying is when it comes to daily, I was thinking about this today. If a daily was a lib, hmm. there'd be none of this talk. He'd be true blue standing up for the everyday Australian. What yeah, he's, okay. he's just telling it like it is. Hmm. But because he's Labour, he's a racist. What's the advantage? Know, okay, but if they, these are these, you know, multi-million dollar parents or whatever that are sending their kids to Australia to um get a degree and yes i know a certain amount about the how the university sector is sort of lowering their standards for uh 
Asian international students because they're the ones that are paying the actual market rate, whereas everyone else here is being subsidized for their degree. Um, where's the... If, uh, so are they getting jobs when they don't... Are they getting jobs above native australians or what i don't what think was that the point a, he was like, i think what was the point he was making no i think that he was just saying which is like you can just go there and you see that that's what's happening right uh-huh. it's just that like uh students that aren't australian are buying up these areas purely because they have the money to do it right and that's then true. everyday yeah. australians are getting pushed further and further out into the suburbs uh-huh. um I just don't see anything that's controversial with that. It's just a pure capitalist point. He just put like more of a, you know, like a flair on the demographics of it than, you know, but this is a whole point that the the press does. They just try and find any, but they will let a, a thousand, everybody, unless they are a true machinist in like, yeah. the, the, in politics, they have said – it's like the same thing that I've said on this podcast. It'll probably get clipped out again, so I'm just saying that oh, now. All of this will. For sure. But the th- and, and I don't care because, like, uh, at this point, it's just like, whatever. You can't cancel me, right? Like, I'm just sitting there talking to a mate. We're trying to, like, tease out these things. Yeah. But the thing is, like, you know, th- there is something that someone – if you're a politician, you're talking to communities as opposed to talking to the press class – and this is something that I've noticed about politics more mm. the more that I've um, looked into it. Dude, there's two things happening when it comes to the press. And see, they'll never talk about this in their little clips. But they'll never talk about the fact that there is kind of a you're, you're in or you're out. And the reason that people like us talk like this is because... We grew up in actual Sydney, you know? Like, to the average Sydney cider, they sit there and they go to your show and your show is filled with racially charged jokes and everyone's just cool with it, you know? Because they gr- they went to a fucking normal school. They didn't go to Askham. You know, and so they in their little circle, like if you want to, you know how we were talking about podcasts the other day and uh, you were saying like, I just need to figure this out to figure out what little pockets they're in. Dude, Chris Lilly has done that with his podcast, The Jamazing Podcast. He has listened to what rich private school girls listen to and uh-huh. he's got their worldview and it is just that. It's just <laughs> all about like, oh, God, is that right? I don't know. Like that. that's yeah. all they talk about, right? Mm. Is, is there a limit to sort of, I guess, what you could call class, division or class politics or, you know, a class-based way of looking at the world? Um Especially in a country like Australia, that is a pretty. I mean, I don't know if you, if you look at the exact Gini coefficient or whatever. If if you, if you look at the, the the upper class in other countries compared to the working and, and and middle class, there's a lot more division versus in Australia. There's a lot. It's it's closer. Um, is it too divisive to constantly look through everything through the lens of class? But this is the whole thing. The press never t- looks at it through class. You know what they look at it through? They look at it through race. Yeah. They look at it through sex. 
They look at it through those paradigms. And the reason that they look at those paradigms is because they're all part of that class. Mm. That's true fucking division, you know? And they don't want the average Australian to know that there is a certain class controlling the country. Now, it mm-hmm. is not as pronounced mm. as it would be in a country like India or in a country like Britain. Even America. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even the Britain, US. Yeah. Mm. The, the thing is that they have really established classes and Australia, as I was saying before, was set up really by tradies. So the class division is not as significant as it is in those countries, but that's really just not saying much. You know, yeah. the things that I'm talking about in my lawsuit, for instance, right, these are things that really affect rigid-dig Australia. Like rigid-dig Australia is the ones that are getting taken for a ride in this. Mm. But what does the press take it as? Even the Telegraph, racist, oh my God, this is racist. And the reason that they do that is because the press and politicians in general, and that's what I'm saying, like the reason Michael Daly was more loose with his terms and stuff like that is because he's not really of that political media class where they all went to their little private schools and then they got their little job there and then they all just have their little theatrical play where they're really just shifting around and having their little debates about, oh, what's what's in the news now at the moment? Okay, gay marriage is passed. What else can we talk about now? And let's just talk about racism. Let's, let's, let's just put a little more into the arts there. Okay. But the reality of the situation is that wealth is being protected within that class, you know, and they don't want anyone that... This is a big reason that Jody McKay was shafted. The reason that Jody McKay was shafted is because Jody McKay was elected by the base of the Labor Party. What's the base of the Labor Party? The base of the Labor Party are nurses, firefighters, builders. They looked at Jody McKay and they thought, she's a good person. And she is a good person. I've met her in real life, you know. Mm. She is the most down-to-earth of all the politicians that I've met, you know. You can tell that she grew up around working class people. She understands them. She speaks like them. They didn't like that. Okay. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say, um, what's the two things I was going to say? Uh, are, are you saying that, you know, to be a good person, you have to grow up around, you know, in a working class environment? Because I'm sure, that, well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who've grown up in it. I'm not saying that you have to be a good person. Like, honestly, and it pains me to say this, but I truly think John Hewson, liberal opposition leader, one of the smartest men in the country, yeah. uh, good human being, don't necessarily agree with all of his economics, but I agree that he had a vision for the country. He's a lib, you know, but he grew up and he's a good person. I truly think that he's a good person. Um, you know, uh, Malcolm Fraser, for instance, think the guy at his heart grew up, uh, rural Bunyip aristocracy of Australia, uh, came from one of those elite families in the bush. I think he's a good person. I don't think that you're necessarily a good or a bad person. I think that just obviously just by the magnitude of how many people are in the lower classes of Australia, they're going to be worse people than the upper classes. First off, because it's like, actually, it's one of the most... 
insightful the- things I've ever heard, which was, and I can't remember what movie it was in, but I just remember this Asian mum saying to their kid, they were just saying that like, you know, Min He's mum is much nicer than you. And she said, yeah, well, if I was worth millions of dollars, I'd be a lot nicer. You can afford to be nicer when you're comfortable, you know? But I think okay. that like in terms of who they're representing – who are these people representing? There's very few politicians that are truly representing the average Australian. Okay, so the media class are from the same ilk of a lot of the politicians who are supposedly representing every sector of society. Yet they put a microscope on cultural issues because that deflects and distracts from class division because class division is actually the biggest threat to the elites or I guess the oligarchy's power. Is Mm. that, I guess, an apt summary of... It's the same class division that has been... This is is what my next, next podcast is about. That's why I've been obsessed with Rome since then. It's just like... And this is really interesting as well because you listen to what the upper class of Rome was saying at the time about the division between politicians and you listen to those that were representing the masses. Yeah. The politicians that were representing, that they both agreed that there was like the populares, which is, I suppose, the Labor Party back then, which is like we represent the masses. Yeah. And then there was the optimates who represent, like they were the Liberal Party and they used to mean best men. Right, but it's always that division throughout all of history. There is, if there is a democracy, they'll always naturally just fall into two groups. You know, there'll be the ones that represent the masses, and there'll be the ones that represent the elites. And the elites always talked about it like this. They were always saying, "No, no, no, we we hold up convention. We're here for freedom. We're here for liberty. These people just appeal to the masses, but they're really part of our ilk." That's the kind of person. That that's how they were saying it. The people that represented the populations, the the larger populations, they'd always be talking about it as like, "No, hmm. we represent the population." Yeah. Two different mindsets there. Is is it is it. Is it that simplistic a dichotomy where there's just the, the the masses and the elites? Because isn't there, I guess, the working class, then there's the middle class who may even have ownership of certain shares and, and, and property, so they own capital. Um, and and then there's maybe the sort of upper class and then there's the elites. You know, is it is it that simplistic, the paradigm with which to, to view a country like Australia where there's just the masses and the elites? Isn't there a, a vast range of classes i'll tell you this there is a lot more diverse level of classes and there's a lot more people in the middle class in australia than there is in a society like rome the middle class in a society like rome and this is the same in america in america the middle class is diminishing every year it's getting smaller and smaller that's when you know that a society is really turning into that third world kind of like dude india for instance the middle class actually is expanding in India slowly. In China, for instance, the middle class has exploded. Yeah. That's the difference there, right? But third world countries, there's just an elite class and a working class. Yep. You know, that's it. And working class really just means underclass. They're not even fully employed. 
country like Australia, you'll have all those different stratas of classes. You're right. But that same dynamic is at play there. And the, the, the party that represents capital, the party that represents the elites are able to dupe the people that are in these classes better and they're able to, they're in the position to hold the power and then they know just enough to give people like for instance what? you know why john howard was in for 12 years it's because uh-huh. keating was in for 12 years he created such keating. a large middle class and upper middle class from all the wealth that he put into this country keating was keating labor was in for 12 years not keating yeah, sorry, sorry, but like yeah. him as treasurer, I suppose oh, he yeah, was. Yeah. This is the other thing that you learn about politics. Treasury is really the position of power. It's really the prime minister is kind of just a front man. It depends if you've got a very capable treasurer yeah. like Paul Keating, you will have somebody who's really because con- they're controlling right. the economy. And Bob you know? Hawke was just the celebrity, basically. He's a celebrity. Yeah, he's like me. Yeah, right. And um. Yeah, pretty much the changes that he made in this country created a huge middle class and a huge upper middle class, and they became what are known as Howard's battlers, whereas the generation before they were working class. That's been a huge problem with the Labor Party. You're right, but the thing is that they have been in the position and they have been in an era of economic prosperity where they can bribe, essentially, the middle class and the upper middle class, Mm. make them feel richer than they are. You know, but that's that's an illusion. That's a political illusion. Because there's something that that's what you know, middle class quotation marks battlers uh, really hate the dole bludger, probably more so than the elites, because the the dole bludger is so far removed from the elites. But if you grow up in just a normal middle class suburb, you see the dole bludgers and you hate that. Yeah, you definitely do. Because in theory, what it's I guess. Again, I don't know if this is just the propaganda model, but I look at it and think something something like Labour represents the um, sector of society that is um, either working for the government, so has bureaucratic jobs, or is, um, you know, the, the employees. And liberal represents the uh, business owners, but that includes people like traders who are may not be rich but are small business owners. Now, again, I don't know if that's just the propaganda model, but that's the way I, I guess I, it's presented. No, and that's true. The liberals do, and that that's how they get in is representing tradies. That is what is actually being called Howard's battlers. You know. Mm. Th- those they're, they're those people. Like I think I've said, you know what it is. It's like most tradies I know vote liberal. liberal. Hmm. But the thing is, what they don't understand is that those tradies would not have the lifestyle that they have if it wasn't for the Labor Party. The Labor Party, before them, and Keating's economic changes, with our popula- current population growth, when they started, there was about 550,000 businesses in Australia. With population growth, that should be just a bit over a million mm. businesses in Australia. Due to their economic program, just in small businesses alone, you've doubled it. There's 2 million small businesses today. I don't know how many me- medium and large businesses, but that's just small businesses. Mm. Most small businesses are tradies. They are the direct benefactors of the Labor Party's economic reforms. 
And then the liberals just kind of bribed them to get their vote. And when you have this ethos of, oh, we're pro-business, that's so reductive, right? Because there's so many different, in the same way there's different stratas of classes, right? There's so many different uh, areas of business. A small business compared to a corporation is infinitely different. And to just say something like, oh, we're pro-business, well, what does that tell me? Nothing. It doesn't say anything, but it also does say generally where their priorities lie, which is that the amount, as we've discussed before, the amount of welfare that huge corporations, for fuck's sake, a third of the large corp- largest corporations in this country don't pay a cent in tax. That should tell you everything you need to know about the Liberal Party's priorities. I mean, is that that's a, is true that bludging? Just them, you know, be having uh, not having to pay that tax, or are they in investing it or something like that, or is it just purely their? Uh, you know what it is. It's this is something that I'm working on now, which is truly horrifying. But it's the Liberals slowly but surely, and not even that slowly over the span of a decade, hollowing out the public sector. So when it comes to large corporations not paying taxes, it's because the ATO, the Australian Taxation Office, they just don't have the manpower to chase these corporations down. They don't have the legal resources anymore. They don't have the in-house lawyers to actually sue these people for what they owe. Right. I, the other day, reported a medium-sized business that I know that's avoiding tax. And I got one of my investigative journalists to look into it and they were just saying like, it's obvious from the public information of this company that they're dodging tax. Um, We sent it to the ATO. They said, yeah, okay, fine, thank you. I sent it in again a second time. They said, yeah, okay, fine, thank you. And then I was talking to someone in the ATO and they were saying, they, they don't even have the number of people in there to look at a tax return anymore. It's just so swamped. Mm-hmm. And it's because uh, the Liberals have halved the amount of public servants in this country. And really, what keeps a country going is public servants. There is no country without public servants. Other than that, you just have Somalia. And they have deliberately done that and outsourced the public sector to the private sector in the form of consultants. You know, like, so that, that's what's going on there. The reason that they're avoiding tax like that the reason that smaller businesses are doing that as well is because the ato is basically a toothless tiger now well let me uh i guess if i was to play devil's advocates um by allowing these companies even medium-sized companies to pay less tax they can then you know when capital is, is is with uh efficient people and their efficiency comes from them having built a business it's better utilised than when it's with the public sector. Yeah, and that's true if you have a government like the Hawke-Keating government in charge. They did truly unleash capital in this country to double the GDP, to double the amount of businesses, to 
vastly increased. First of all, there was like a huge unemployment gap, but that was because they were just modernizing the economy. But like eventually it came back to us having very historically low unemployment figures. And that does happen if you have a government in charge that wants to unleash capital. But if you have a government in charge whose intention is to stow capital away into their donors. I'll give you a great example right now. Josh Frydenberg wants... Huh? I was just going to say, so when you say donors, uh, would the argument against that be, okay, these are the people who can better utilize that capital and put it to more productive means? You know what the really amazing thing about capital is? Mm. It's not that hard. Once you have money, it's really easy to make more money. You know, you just buy a few holiday homes, you Airbnb them, mm. you know, you buy some blue chip shares. The, the classic example of this? Well, Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump. But there's still some people who are smarter that would just be able to better, more effectively uh, make gains on that capital than other people, right? Well, this is the thing. Industry super funds, the ones that are sort of union controlled, yeah, they perform way better than retail super funds. Retail super funds are controlled by a bunch of bankers. But yeah, the right. thing is, what are they doing? The the industry super funds are trying to actually increase the super fund. They're trying to get a return on investment for their workers because it's run by people that run the unions and so they want the workers to have more money when they retire. What are the bankers trying to do? They're trying to fleece the people in their superannuation funds. So they just mm. cap it all in ways to get more money for themselves. It really just depends... Like and the thing is, the ones that are run by like industry super funds, they're run by like former lollipop ladies and construction workers. It's capital is a lot more mythologized than what it is. Dude, it's like this, for instance, right. venture capitalism. What is venture capitalism? It's just 10 people come up to you and they're like, oh, I have an idea for uh, making this automatic toothpick. And then you go, okay, I'll chuck a million dollars at you. And then another one comes in and says, uh, I've got an idea for a house that builds itself. And you're like, okay, I'll chuck a million dollars at you. You chuck a million dollars at 10 of those companies. One of them's going to make a billion dollars. It's that kind of a thing, right? Like it's it's once you have money, it's very easy to make more money, but it just depends. What's your intention with that money? It's not okay. like the the, yep. the Labor Party wasn't like neoliberal. Like they do, they did. Th as I was saying before, like they privatized the Commonwealth Bank, they privatized Qantas, but there was rationality to it. The best way to sum it up is what Paul Keating said, which is that the Labor Party wants to expand markets. The Liberal Party wants to create monopolies. Mm. That's what they want. And it's very obvious with what happens as soon as they get in power, you know, like media control, ownership, all of those kind of things. Just, everything gets more and more concentrated into fewer and fewer hands. It's really just about like... It's really just about who's more greedy, that's that's the way that I look at it. It's mm. the same thing that you see about like the the oligarchs that controlled Rome. The oligarchs that controlled Rome, they were just like if they did what Caesar wanted them to do, there would probably still be a republic. Do you, do you think there's always going to be a certain portion of the population that are extremely greedy, avaricious, self-serving people and based on the sort of economic or governmental system that will determine where that greed and self-serving energy 
will go. And so you can't have this perfect system where everyone, you know, looks out for the best interests of the country and there always will be a certain proportion that are just looking out for themselves and maybe with a system like neoliberalism, they at least are not becoming warmongers and, I don't know, creating a little... (laughs) their own little army and, and, and taking over certain... Uh, territories it's at least confined yeah. to the financial sector or something like that but that's what i like that's what i really it's, you know america is a perfect example of neoliberalism run amok the biggest warmongers in modern history but like i do really like you know countries like singapore countries like china for instance it's not like they're like anti-capitalist they're as, as capitalist as you get but they encourage their population to invest in certain avenues that build the country up naturally. China goes with construction, for instance, right? Singapore, their bag is finance. In Australia, for instance, what would be a beautiful, beautiful system for what are our economic interests? Green tech revolution, solar power, wind, all of those things. That is naturally suited to our economy. But we have a government that actively goes out of its way to stifle that investment and put it into things like gas and coal. Why is it in gas and coal? Because it's concentrated in fewer hands. They're able to control a monopoly over it because you can control the entire supply line, right? Well, that's where you have a common ground with um, even right-wing ideologues, right? Because the government actually gives tax offsets and, and it gives essentially corporate welfare to uh, gas and natural gas uh, sorry coal and natural gas companies when it, a true someone who really believes in free markets would say no the government shouldn't be giving any money or tax subsidies to any corporation and I'll tell you what if that was the case Australia's renewable sector would be f- way further ahead than it currently is that's true the thing is ideologues are ideologues they live in the world of academia and they kind of i really think that those kind of things just play into the propaganda model the reality of the situation is the republicans and the democrats there really is and and same with like the labor party and the liberal party the liberal party spends just as much money as the labor party does it's just that they spend it in things that just kind of destroy capital they waste capital you know at least got a talking point there for you know maybe certain people within the population who whether they're ideologues or not, they are at least somewhat honest about the uh, system of economic governments that they believe in. And if you're saying, hey, this is the government that's supposed to be for free markets and for the individual, yet here they are giving these billion-dollar subsidies to coal and gas companies, they're going completely against their ethos. At the very least, they're dishonest. Mm, mm. There is that sector, but the thing is, you know, wouldn't they be? Shouldn't they be just like banging on that point? Like, I guess I, I look. I don't know about the average voter, but because that's the thing, I don't think that the average voter thinks about those things. Sure, I think actually, I can't remember which New I think it was a New South Wales premier, but he was just being like, "Give the greedy bastards an extra dollar." That's how you win an election. You don't actually win it by just being like, you know, let's, let's expand the free market. These these are all very academic ideas, yeah. right? Like these are the things that appeal to people that day-to-day life doesn't actually help them. I tell you what really helps them, you know? Tax offset or the, whatever. The, yeah. the, the dole, you know, the yeah. grain tax, <laughs> that kind of thing. There's a window now where what would, what would uh, 
what people would respond to is cultural issues. I think someone came out there and said, "Yeah, fuck China, um, fuck all the woke bullshit." Australia first. I don't know, different words to that, but that that would. I don't know. My analysis is obviously not as good as the people who were paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be the strategists for the major parties, but that just seems to be something that would work. Well, it definitely works with... Look, that's the whole reason that that's happened, especially in the US, and it's just permeated throughout the rest of it. The reason that they focus so much on cultural issues is because neither party really represents the actual population and their interests. So that's the whole thing that the Republicans are always saying that the Democrats are always trying to court the black vote and the Democrats are always just being like, they're trying to court the white vote. Like, they are. They're both right. Yeah. It's really just trying to divide people up amongst cultural issues. This is a common trick that happens throughout all of the world. Uh it's particularly pronounced in a country that's that far gone in the US. In Australia, for instance, just that kind of thing of being like, fuck China. Look, it didn't win the election in Australia because it's not that far gone. The Australian government still kind of does things for the Australian public. It definitely doesn't in the US. Like the American government really does fuck all for the average American. You know, it just sucks up their tax dollars and puts it in weapons. But in Australia, it still does things for them. So you still have to talk about things like tax, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, you get enough, you peel enough votes off just being like, I'm telling you, China's going to invade. But that was the whole thing. You know what I learned recently? The Palmer election last election, him pumping $80 million into the last election, I just found this out recently. He wasn't expecting to win a single vote, I mean, a, a single seat. Not one. He was just trying to make sure that Labor didn't win, right? Yeah. So that then he could almost blackmail the Liberals and say, hey, I helped you win the election. Give me these whatever favours he's asking for. Is that? Yeah, and that's what he got. And he got multi-billion dollar coal mines opened up. So it was really a tiny, tiny investment, $80 million, nothing. But that's how it works, right? Like he he was he was yeah. working on that that cultural aspect of Australia, so the Liberal Party could keep their hands clean of it, but still get that vote. Right. So they want a sort of proxy party that has that hardcore nationalistic identity, because if the Liberals specifically did that, or even if Labor specifically did that, they would maybe um, energize a certain portion of their base, but they'd also lose out on the moderates and people who maybe don't agree with that cultural ethos but still are economically aligned with either Liberal or Labor. So it it works in either of the major parties' interests to have those smaller proxy parties to to, um, express that cultural message and then preference them. Which Labor doesn't really have. The other thing that I think is like people always just say, you know, the Greens. The Shooters and Fishers. Shooters and Fishers is kind of working in rural Australia. But the thing is that that's that's not federal. That's mostly just New South Wales thing. I think it's going to get stronger over time. But, yeah, people always just say, you know, Labor and the Greens. But that's a very, as I was saying before, bankers vote for the Greens. Well, why don't Labor have a start a proxy party? I don't know, Australia first or I don't know, whatever it may be, to appease that uh, sort of disenfranchised working class Labor vote. 
there's it's a money thing. Yeah, it's that okay. You don't they don't have the money to compete with it, which is really like you look at the voting block, it's it's the Hillary Clinton point, right? But the thing is Last election, everyone's just like, oh, my God, miracle victory, landslide for the Libs. The Libs won by, like, two votes, uh, two seats. But they won, Labor Party won 4 million votes. The Liberals and the Nationals combined won 3.5 million votes. It's just that it lined up in the right seats. Right. Interesting. Well, it's just a thing of, like, really, the Labor Party does actually represent the average Australian a lot more and they have a lot less money to get their message out than the Liberals, but they get just enough and they target the seats really well because they have more money, so they have better brains working on what seats they need to win and what they need to do to win those seats. And proxy parties are a big part of that. thing is the Greens is just a, a godsend for the Libs. That's done unbelievably reckless damage to the Labor Party. They always say, oh, 80% of the preferences turn towards the Labor Party. What they don't talk about is how much damage they do to the Labor Party of people that just won't vote for them by going into their seats and making their seats marginal, which means that they have to stretch out money where they've already got like a five-to-one disadvantage into those seats to try and win those seats back, which means that they have less money to fight liberals and nationals in other marginal seats. That's the real genius of it. It's just like if you look at it, it takes a lot of political Machiavellianism to get a party that represents 70% of the population, roughly, thereabouts. That's about the working class in Australia, 70% of the population. It takes a lot to keep them out of power 70% of the time. You have to have a lot of very smart people working on these. And it's actually what you're talking about there. I'm telling you, cultural issues is such a great political tool. It's brilliant. It's like that. Mm. There's actually Steve Bannon talked about it where he was saying that like politics flows downstream from culture. It's a culture war. Because the government doesn't actually have a huge say on cultural issues. They can make a few. You make a few shots here and there, but but you emphasize the shots that they make. Because really like what the... On a national level, the Liberals have been in power for nearly 10 years now. And uh, I guess a lot of people maybe who are voting for Liberals are saying, oh, I'm sick of all the woke bullshit. It's it's being exacerbated throughout the term of their governorship. So that would would seem like they're not really doing anything. I mean, I I saw an interview with Tony Abbott and he was saying, oh, yeah, all this... You know, the way that the universities are um, curtailing free speech and uh, limiting what people can say is is disastrous for not only the West, but for just Australia in general. And I thought, well, you were the fucking prime minister. What did you do? You were the most powerful, theoretically, the most powerful person in the country. Why don't you do something? Mm, mm. But that's their talking point, right? To, to continue to uh, gain votes of disenfranchised Labor voters, Mm. Mm. even though they're not actually doing anything Mm. on that front. But the Mm. more woke society gets, the more it favours... Is actually what you're. Uh, is that correct? Is that, well, I... th- that's really what you're talking about now. That's, that's really typified in the... I don't know if this will even be going by the time that this video comes out, but... That's what's happening in New South Wales Labor at the moment. It's kind of just, uh, it, it really is a divide between new and old Labor. 
It's very strange, actually, because it means that what's going to happen, what is going to happen in the future, it's interesting thinking about how those cultural rifts will change. But yeah, that's... Well, Pauline, I mean, One Nation could become a major party in in 10 to 20 years. It's not, I mean, I know she'll be gone, but someone could take over. Someone could take over and it depends on... Because I guess if, if you look at that uh, windowed <laughs> cultural uh, political compass, they're theoretically supposed to represent, I guess, a bit more economically left-wing, whereas culturally right-wing ideals. Now, I know you don't like those labels, but I think people look at Labour and think, oh, they, they were always uh, economically left-wing, but culturally, you know, centrist or maybe slightly left, and, and, and but not to the extent where it was confronting for people, whereas now they're so far left that even if average voters align with them economically, they're not willing to vote for them based on the sort of cultural ideals that they're espousing. I'll tell you what, if I was an American, mm. I think it's a completely different story in Australia. I think that average, that's that's something that is trying to be accentuated in the press. Um, but I, I think that like in America, for instance, it would be really, really hard to, even though I know it's the better choice, be really hard to vote Democrat. You know, it'd be a real bitter pill to swallow because... Because of the cultural... Because of the cultural shit, you know? And and economically, they're actually just the same as the Republicans, right? Sl- marginally analysis. better, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, the, it, as Chomsky says, they're two competing factions of the business party. It's it's a different thing here. They, they are offering different things. I think that if one nation becomes bigger... You know what? That's a response. That that is a, is a direct reflection of societal decline. It'll also take votes from the liberals as well, though, because the liberals are also they've got their woke ideals that are coming out. I think so. I I'd have to double check this, but I think actually what's happening. Is that it's it's really good. It's the best of both worlds for the libs. I think that green seats, their former liberal voters, mm. but they've moved into the inner city, and it's just not cool to vote for the liberals anymore because they're fucked on climate change. You know, like that. That's that kind of person. <laughs> they move into seats that were traditionally labor seats, so they're pushed out that way. Places like One Nation. One nation never gets any lower seats, but when it comes to the Senate, like who'd they get as their star in New South Wales? Mark Latham. Mark Latham is the pinnacle of what you were saying. Like he's just like, don't care for any of this woke shit. What happened to working class fair dinkum Aussies? That's his brand. Exactly what you said. Yeah. It's not exactly how they vote, but that's the brand. That's what they're trying to sell. Yeah. Sure. I think that it's actually what Kevin Rudd is talking about, which is that the more powerful Sky News gets, the more you will see what's happening in the US. Because, dude, like Fox News is every bit as responsible for the culture war as, you know, Hollywood is. Mm. They've just figured out this is the way that you motivate voters. 
And so they've just got their different outlets. Sure. So could it be, you know, it's foreseeable to say in 20 years when we're in, where, when we're middle age, the two major parties could actually be liberals and one nation and they're both sort of business, pro-business party, pro-corporate parties. No, one they wouldn't. One of them's culturally left-wing and one of them's culturally right-wing. They wouldn't be liberals and one nation. Like one nation would get more votes, sure, but like they'd still keep the brands of the old party. But the what is those parties mm. would have changed to fit the time but it just really we're, we're at an interesting point in australian history it, i think it also is isn't it fair to to say you know there aren't as many um i guess f- factory workers and uh that sort of classic working class individual that they as technology continually increases that that, that they don't just they just don't exist as much anymore. Yeah, but you know what else is fair to say about them? They're going into worse jobs. Being an Uber driver right. is a lot worse than being a factory worker. You do not get the same benefits. <laughs> you know, like yeah. your work you is sketchier. Yeah. You know, that that's what's happening there. And that is a technological change. And that is something that will exacerbate through when the world gets more and more mechanized. It, that will naturally, again, create that huge riff between elites who control all of these apps and everybody else who just doesn't have a job anymore. That's the okay. point that I think that... Um, fuck, what's his name again? Yang. Andrew. Yang is uh, he's 100% right on that. He's, he, at some point, just, just to make sure that the billionaires are still billionaires, you're going to have to give out some kind of universal income. Otherwise, just no one's going to have any money. But again, this is all future stuff, you know? I mean, we say future, but it's, I don't think it's that far into the future either. It's, it's not like, that in far. Our, in our lifetime. It'll happen in our lifetime, you're For sure. right. I mean, look, dude, the thing again, like, how weird is it that... There won't be any working class jobs in another 30, 40 years. No. Tell you what, though. Everything is getting Ubered. I've always said this, that I'd much rather be a 20-year-old now than a 20-year-old when I was 20. It was a dude. Just in those 10 years. Well, it's weird. Like, you go back, you go, do you remember uh, The Lonely Island? Like, I'm on a boat and jizz in my pants. Yeah, I love them, yeah. They were amazing. But that was the moment, I think, that people that were higher up thought, you can monetize YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> that moment specifically. Don't you reckon? The Lonely Island. I'm on Do you boat. remember seeing anything else that was like that fucking high production and that backed by Hollywood before I'm on a boat? Like, when the fuck was T-Pain on a specifically YouTube video? Were they on Saturday Night Live at that point, though? Because but I know they... They uh, were, Andy but... Andy Samberg, whether the whole group did, but Andy Samberg... Made some inroads into Hollywood. He did. What's he's doing now? See, that was his little hybrid, wasn't it? Because he mm. moved from YouTube to Hollywood. Mm. That group did. There were a few cases of that. Uh, I, one of the first ones that pops to mind, I was doing a podcast earlier today about it. Dane Cook actually got famous through MySpace. One of his clips went viral on MySpace. No. Russell Peters, one of his audio clips went viral on, I think it was Napster. LimeWire or something? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, LimeWire or something. <coughs> Excuse me. One of those illegally <coughs> illegally uh, streamable sites. 
So there always were uh, people who achieved mainstream success uh, through the internet. They just weren't internet content creators. They weren't uh, consistently putting out content. And I think, when do you start getting to the mid-2000s, you know, 2006, 7, 8, you had your Shane Dawson's and your, well, Natalie Tran, uh, even my Chonny, uh, Superwog a bit later after that in Australia specifically. Uh, N- Ryan Heger, he was a big one. Jenna Marbles, all of these people became YouTubers. Hey, you know what else is pretty cool about that? Yeah. A lot of the American big names, they fucked off or they've been outed as pedos, right? <laughs> yeah, none of them. The, the, <laughs> all of those I just mentioned. I'm sure they're still making content, but they're, they're not the, the top dogs anymore. I don't think. I don't know what they're doing, but um, they're definitely not the top dogs. No, not even close. Well, but like, Shane you Dawson know, was for a while that he was making documentaries, but then he did get outed. Outed. As, well, he made really inappropriate jokes. He wasn't. I don't know if he got outed as an actual pedophile, but someone who made. Yeah, that guy was truly a victim of cancel culture, wasn't he? Like, I don't think he did anything illegal. Neither. It's just he made off-color jokes. He made I, jokes. Uh, to be fair, well, that would be weird, but. There's no, I don't think I've heard anything of where he actually um, participated in pedophilia. But like, it's interesting that in Australia, your Nat Trans and your Super Wogs, still royalty to this day. Are they? You know, a teenager still, I don't know. I don't, I don't follow them that much anymore. I, oh, Super Wog, I still do, but uh, Nat, I don't, I don't know what she's up to. I'm what she's well, doing. the thing is, she chose not to be a YouTuber anymore. But I swear to God, if she came back and started doing videos again, she'd start getting one, two million views. Mm. She had a good presence for the internet. It was... uh, If she grew up in the era of TikTok, she would have been just as big, if not bigger. Uh, I know Superwog has have a series on... um, Their second series on ABC iView coming out soon, which I don't even know why that... Look... I guess they're getting funding from ABC, but... It must be it, fuck it was all. A, what, what, a three-year gap between their last... This is how inefficient ABC is, mm. the, the government broadcaster. Jesus Christ. They, it took them, they were by far the highest-rated program that has ever been produced by ABC. Look at them now. Multi-million views on every, every single one of those episodes. But because, you know, they appeal to teenagers and people in their early 20s and not the sort of highbrow 50, 60, 70 year olds that generally watch the ABC. They weren't given precedence and it took them what, three, four years to produce the second season. It's still going to go really well, but it's never going to be, you know, it's probably not going to win a, a Logie or anything like that, which it deserves. If, if, if you're just looking at pure numbers. I don't know. I, the same scene. It hasn't even come out yet, but it's coming out soon. I'll, I'll, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably come out. It just seems like a huge waste of time for them, doesn't it? Why bother? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Um, I guess they get the funding, but... But it must be nothing. I reckon it was just more like... More than enough money themselves. You, you know how much like a, a fat pizza episode costs these days? It's like a $60,000 budget. Per episode? Yeah. Well, that's still quite substantial. I don't think they could afford that on them on their own. But it's like probably isn't that much. I honestly, I don't think it's that much. 
That's what oh, I'm saying. Like, you know, and would, Fat no, Pizza is a be, legacy. It it's got Paulie, who is a guy that understands how TV works. So he'd be doing all the talking. I don't think that they're getting that much per episode. It's also the ABC. It's not commercial television. It just doesn't seem like it's worth their time. It's like, may as well be an Uber driver. Look, I agree. Who knows? But it's just like, honestly, it's the same thing. It was just our model of you do a lot of free content, you do shows. That's what they should have done. In fact, even it was that back in the day, that, Jesus, Australians have to struggle, don't they? Their equivalent in the 80s, Wogs Out of Work. That's where they made most of their money. They had their TV show, Wogs Out of Work, that did well. And then they just went and sold it such sold a different time. I, like from, two I've weeks straight stories, or something. Yeah, even longer than that. Months straight. Months. I've heard. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I don't it's know like cats. Heard, like, yeah, that's what I heard. There's a lot of return audience. That was huge for its time. And they're still riding off the coattails of that. They're doing shows. Uh, not, you know, not replicas of that initial show, but um, clearly uh, modeled off that. That's a little fantasy of yours, right? What? Being a comedian in 80s Australia seems so much better better than being a comedian now what would you get in 80s australia you'd get less likely you know you wouldn't get you wouldn't have to worry about cancel culture you wouldn't have to there was no social media people weren't uh insulting you and constantly criticizing you online there was less of a pool of talent so you could probably just make more money if you made it People went out more. People um, were more likely to go to a live event, I'm, I'm guessing. Our disadvantages is you probably still, to some degree, had to appease the powers that be. You had to um, work your way up through various media avenues. And no, 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 but I'm, no... I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, not making it. Just you've made oh, it. Oh, okay. But you've made it in the 80s as opposed to you've made it now. Like, that's the thing. That would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one is going to sell out the end more for months straight, ever. Never going to happen again. Yeah. Oh, look, it could, but right now, no. Maybe, maybe something like fucking Sticky Fingers might be able to sell it out for a few weeks. Really, just just. I remember Jim Jeffries a couple of years ago did um, about two weeks worth of the end more. By the way, you're not from Sydney anymore. But dude, think about that. 1600-ish. He's... That's how many it holds. He's mainstream and he's American now. But this was, I don't think he would be able to do that now. He did this in sort of 2014, 15, maybe later 16. I can't remember exactly, but it was just after that gun bit went really viral. Hmm. And um, it was just before, you know, I know his manager and um, they didn't want to do Acer Arena or, you know, the next step from the big theaters is basically a football is is a sports stadium, but to do comedy in a sports stadium, you're horrible. Really, the the product suffers immensely. Yeah. So you you have to be selling tickets at you know two hundred three hundred dollars basically to make it worthwhile. Um, there is the entertainment center, which holds I think ten thousand. Chris Rock did there, and Seinfeld did there, um, which 
probably is what Jeffries is doing now. Don't know for sure. Uh, but I remember that there's something really a bit more. A big theater is still it suits stand up better than an entertainment center or a sports stadium. A sports stadium doesn't suit anything. Like U two yeah. being there, you may as well just listen to U two on a CD. It'd be so much better, especially with the price you're paying. It's so impersonal. It's crap. Mm. You know what I always thought was the mark of making it as a comedian, performing at Star City Casino. That that why what what's that theater called? <laughs> Lyric Theater or something? Okay. Don't you reckon that's as big as it gets it and is still like the acoustics are okay? Wherever Shin Yun is played, it's been a it's while since I've been there. You to and be like fair. some ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> Damn, ventriloquists would make a hell of a lot of money, hey, because that's such a corporate friendly act. Oh yeah. Magicians. Again, it's the '80s thing. I like it. You know what? The other thing I like about the Show thought business. of being a comedian back then—you mm. could just be more innocent. It was just a little more theatrical. It was, you know, very... you had to have a shtick. Mm. I suppose you still have shticks now, but it's just not, not the. Same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Everything's too. Comedians are almost like what rock bands were in the '80s. Yeah, they represented a certain ideological ethos, right? So, uh, whereas comedians in the eighties and and sort of variety acts were just pure entertainment. Yes, make me fun, make me laugh, make me um, remember this night. Whereas a rock band, you go there, you'd have a brilliant night, but you'd also there'd be a certain political message often uh, for the for the you know the the big rock bands. They're saying something. Mm. Maybe not by the end, but definitely 60s and 70s. Mm. 80s, I guess mm. it became mm. a little bit more commercial. Right. Now they're all just druggos. Yeah. It's like, it's like a family guy joke of just keeping the principles, no, disregarding the principles of the 60s, but keeping the weed. That's that's bands now. They, they, dude, you know what? Like, <laughs> that's is, is, a good point. <laughs> you know they're not fighting against any authority in no, them, are they? no. Unless that authority takes drugs Damn. off them, then when, they get political. When is the conserv- when is like the conservative music movement going to come out? The bands that are like, yeah, well, there already are like you know Jesus bands and that. But when are they going to become mainstream and people going to, you know, hide the fact that they listen to them from their parents? If anything, Kanye West releasing a gospel album is the sign of times to come. Cultural conservatism will be the um, new counterculture if it isn't already there. Good point. It's oh, it's well, it's our a, kids. It's our kids. This is uh, nearly ending, so we gotta we gotta get out of here. Gotta finish just, it just, soon. Just just to wrap this up, mm-hmm. just need to get your thoughts on this. What do you think about Conan O'Brien retiring? You know, we skirted around this a few episodes back, but we're thinking about it so much. It had to happen soon. Why? All right, we've got to, we've got to stop this. Thanks nah! for listening, guys. Oh, right, we're going to no, run no, out of battery. Right, right. I'm so sad about it. It's just so weird. <laughs>